A person who has some insight into something has a moral duty to, if it's some information that could help somebody at some point get out of a jam, you're responsible for getting that information out. The people that I was training with and the things that I was involved in, it's an all-encompassing thing. Handguns to weapons to hand-to-hand -hand combat to situational awareness and preventative uh, measures. You have to develop the mindset of self-sufficiency and a, a warrior's mentality. Owning a hammer doesn't mean I can build a house. It doesn't even mean I can hit the head of a nail. So you need to know how to use that tool, and that's what a gun is, uh, because the, the actual weapon is the person. You're a man living in the modern world in a time when men and manhood are not what they once were. You live life on your own terms. You're self-sufficient. You think for yourself, and you march to the beat of your own drum. When life knocks you down, you get back up because in your gut, you know that's what men do. You're a badass and a warrior. And on the days when you forget, we are here to remind you who you really are. Welcome to the Sovereign Man Podcast. I'm your man, Nikki Ballou. And we have uh, uh, an amazing repeat guest here. Um, Ernest Emerson is the founder of the iconic and legendary knife company, Emerson Knives. He's also um, number one best-selling author. And his latest book is a book that he um, kindly sent to me to read with a lovely inscription in it. It's called Bad Guy with a Gun, How to Survive the Attack of an Active Shooter, Volumes 1 and 2. Ernest, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nikki. I appreciate it. Thank you for the wonderful introduction. I've, now I got to live up to that. I always say that, but yeah. hopefully I'll give it a good shot. I appreciate it. So, Ernest, we are living in messed up times. You know, they're, they're wonderful times because they're, they're messed up times are times of great opportunity, but they are seriously messed up times. You know what I mean? And um, I know exactly. I think you wrote this book partially in response to the to the tenor of the times. Would you mind just leading off with, you know, the the impetus, the why behind this incredible book? Well, I, it's like everything else. The. The job of a person who has some insight into something, I think, is has a moral duty to, uh, or ethical duty to, uh, if it's some information that could help somebody at some point get out of a jam or protect someone, uh, you're responsible for getting that information out. And being a an instructor and a teacher in the art of combat, if you will, for, I, I don't like to just use the term martial arts because that kind of pigeonholes everything because uh, what, what the people that I was training with and the things that I was involved in, it's an all encompassing thing uh, from uh, handguns to weapons, to hand-to-hand -hand combat, to, uh, uh, situational awareness and preventative uh, measures. So having been in that environment and, and knowing a little bit about that uh, and being a teacher or instructor, I, I always think of myself more as a coach than, than anything else, because again, yeah. uh, I'm not, I'm not here to unlearn you anything. I'm here to get you to whatever you've got 
the skill set that you brought to the to the table to get it to perform at its uh, best uh, abilities. But back to your question, uh, I just felt that there was a need for me to get some of that information out. And it seemed like people were always asking me about that. And I've given a number of lectures and things over the years related to this subject, uh, and in addition to all the classes that we've done. And so uh, it ended up being a book. And actually, there was a first book. That's why it says volumes one and two. I wrote a very short uh, book that was just about the protocols of action, basically, which is now a, a chapter in, in this book. And uh, people were after me to, you know, what about this? What about that? So I decided I'm going to, I'm going to put it down on paper and lo and behold, there, there it is in your hands. <laughs> no, it's a great book. Uh, honestly, I, 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 it took me a while to actually get to reading it, but once I got into it, I couldn't put it down. Uh, you know, and one of the things you say in the book is that um, the term active shooter is a bit of a misnomer. And, and really, we should be calling a so-called active shooter just a bad guy with a gun. Right. And why do you think yeah. that's so important? Well, because I think active shooter kind of uh, is an antiseptic or a cleaner way of saying it. And I don't believe that it's a clean environment. I don't think that's a clean thing. I think that's a bad guy with a gun. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, I'm more of a street level guy. I got it. If, if you're developing a program for, you know, corporate security and all that, uh, you got to cut out all the cuss words and everything else. You know what I mean? But uh, they've, they've sanitized it to the active shooter. What, you know, that, that almost sounds like, you know, a sport. And uh, yeah. I don't, I think things should be called exactly what they are. And that's a bad yes. guy with a gun or, or any other weapon. It could be a bad guy with a, with a club or a bad guy with a knife or a bad guy with a backpack bomb. I mean, for God's yeah. sakes. Yeah. Amen, brother. Amen. Um, and, you know, I like how you uh, early on in the book uh, provide us with some credos. So there's the warrior prayer from the Order of the Black Shamrock. There's the Pledge of Allegiance. And then there's the United States Marine Corps Rifle Creed. And they, they are just presented early in the book, boom, 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 one after another. And why did you feel it was important for folks to read these and understand them? Well, because I also believe that as, as we get into maybe talking about a little bit of the preparation, uh, you have to develop the, the mindset of self-sufficiency and a, a warrior's mentality. In other words, uh, we, we do need to understand that in almost every single, unless there's an off-duty police officer or a Marine standing in the crowd, uh, at, in every situation, usually, uh, it's people that are civilians that are uh, confronted with this extreme violence. And most civilians do not spend a lot of time reaffirming to themselves the, I believe, the tenets of a mindset about what to do if someone's trying to hurt you or kill you or hurt innocent people. And those things, the, the, Order of the Black Shamrock Prayer and the, and the Marine Corps Rifleman's Creed and, and, of course, the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, along with a couple of other things that we put in there. Uh, I just wanted to set the stage for how you have to view yourself. Uh, and it's, it's a matter of when we get into 
a little bit maybe if we talk about preventative self-defense, that's all part of that uh, mindset also. And uh, preparing yourself for battle. And we'll talk we'll talk a little bit about that later. So those things are, you know, if they work, they work for the United States Marine Corps, by gosh, they're all well and good for me. That's for damn sure. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I love that you put these in here and I love that you're, you know, unabashedly patriotic um, in, in your approach to all this. And it's funny, I shouldn't say because it it's not funny, but it's interesting that over the weekend, the husband of the U.S. Um, House of Representatives Speaker, Paul Pelosi, this is a fellow who was attacked by someone mm -hmm. with a with a hammer. And um, there's been all this brouhaha. They're trying to pin it on Republicans and turned out the guy is a BLM lover and a, and, and, and a gay pride flag waving fellow. So obviously he's not a Republican. Obviously you can't blame this on Republicans. <laughs> um, the kind I know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It, it, it's actually probably mo first and foremost, uh, something that happened because of the disgusting policies of the Democrats, their sanctuary state policy, where this fellow was an illegal alien could be there. And then their pro-criminal policies where any criminal uh, who takes action is released by these, by these left-wing anti-American traitorous prosecutors. But um, mm -hmm. it, it speaks, I think, to the tenor of the times that right now the police, unless you're a Paul Pelosi, are not going to get involved the way that they would have maybe gotten involved a few years back. So I yeah. was wondering if maybe you could speak about that and then let, let, let's get into starting with talking about gun safety. So I think that's important. Yeah. Well, uh, it's funny you bring up Paul Pelosi because I've got it. I've got it in my notes here when we were when we when and if we get to the part where I was going to talk about uh, the profile of, of of attackers and also the components for every single attack that takes place. Yeah, uh, it's obvious. It's obvious this guy. And we'll talk about that because there are there are absolute things that have to happen in order for an attack to occur. And one of them was, I think, uh, th this guy had a plan. He, he planned this out. He knew what he was going to do. It's obvious because he had a hammer and I guess he had other duct tape and whatever with him or it's that kind of stuff. But at the same time, he was asking, I guess, if we're getting the correct uh, information out, the true information, he was asking That's about where Nancy <laughs> yeah, that's a big F these days. Uh, so he had he had some kind of plan in place to do this. So this wasn't a random act of violence, which a lot of times people think uh, attacks or, or uh, violent acts are random. And I'm going to I'm going to try and dispel that uh, shortly if we get into that little bit of the conversation. But, yeah, that's that's a, that's an attack that. Uh, probably. Could have been prevented uh, on any number of levels, probably over the last, uh, I, I think there was some kind of relationship going on there. So uh, there, there had to be some prior knowledge of the volatility of this guy's personality and things like that. So again, uh, you know, attack is an attack. It doesn't care if it's against, uh, uh, you know, a, a school bus or a armored car. I mean, they're the, they're exactly the same. An attack is an attack. And I think if we break those things down, we're going to start to see all those kind of commonalities. And then what I was trying to do in the book was give you the, 
those commonalities so that in your preparation uh, and training and whatever that you're that you're going to do to develop a, a personal security program, you're actually doing uh, things that are going to have the highest potential for success. And uh, yeah, Paul Pelosi, I mean, getting hit in the head with a hammer. I don't care if you're blue, green or, or red. That's not a good thing. And I feel sorry for the guy, but uh, there's there's something going on there. Let's just say that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you talk about the importance of gun safety. You you you, you mentioned this fellow Jeff Cooper, uh, he's a lieutenant colonel in, in in the Marine Corps, who talks about the commandments of gun safety. So first of all, why is that important for people to know about? As I said, in this current environment. Well, it's it's important because as as we've seen, if you look at the statistics. Uh, the gun sales and gun ownership are on the rise. And I think that's a direct result of what you were talking about earlier about the, <laughs> the times we live in. Yep. Uh, it's, it's an interesting fact. Uh, and let me digress for just one second to kind of put a little bit of this in perspective. I got to write down gun safety here. I'm going to get off on a rant. and Yeah, yeah, it. do it, man. Love it. Listen, yeah. I'm, I'm systematically so, going to go through the book. So you have a chance to talk okay. about it all. <laughs> so um, one of the things that is taking place is the skewing of statistics. And when they talk about how the murder rate and everybody's very proud that the murder rate has gone down and deaths have uh, decreased in that, which on paper they actually have, it's not a result that there are fewer attacks. It's a result that we have a much better medical treatment protocol uh, than we did 20 years ago, or that we did five years ago. And as you're well aware, every time that there's a war where there are casualties involved, uh, our medical science takes great leaps forward because uh, they're exposed to uh, people being wounded, people being shot, people being harmed by all kinds of different means. And so the medical profession uh, develops the new technologies and applies the new technologies to keeping people uh, alive, putting them back together, saving their lives. I mean, for example, uh, and this is a horrible thing, uh, but we all see veterans with uh, artificial limbs, artificial legs, artificial arms, and, and any number, sometimes multiple uh, limbs. And if you look back on the, on the Civil War, you know, yeah, we've all got a picture of the guy walking around with the <clears throat> the pirate uh, stump or stick under his leg. But uh, during those times when they had to amputate because they couldn't uh, fix people, the technology of the time was amputate the limb. And the thing is, most of those guys died. Uh, they either died of infection or, or extreme blood loss. So again, now... Uh, a person can be severely injured, and if they get to him in time, apply the, the correct uh, uh, medical techniques, uh, first aid or whatever, uh, you can actually get the person to a facility quickly enough to uh, survive these, these terrible injuries. So it's the same thing with uh, street crimes, uh, shootings and all that. They never tell you, hey, murder rate's down, but they don't put the little caveat on there and go, but man, the shootings are way up over what they were and the likelihood of attack is way up over what it used to be because those are the 
the inconvenient truths, the convenient truth that they want to push is, yeah, there's less gunshot deaths. Well, it's because people are surviving gunshots. That's right. Way more than they did, yeah, five years ago or 10 years ago. Now, knowing, knowing all of that, uh, we, we all watch the news, we all hear what's going on. We know, especially in the, in the larger cities, the, the crime waves, you mentioned the, the DAs that are letting guys off with a, not just a slap on the hand, they're letting them off with a pat on the back. Yeah, like, you know good job, I mean? it, it, go, yeah. go do it again. <laughs> and, and a lot of them do. And so we're all aware of that. We all know the violence that's going on. We, I mean, for gosh sakes, I, our business right here, uh, there have been people shot and people killed within blocks, just one block over from where we are. Uh, and we're not talking about one single thing. We're talking every few months, something like that happens. So uh, I think a lot of people are seeing this actually come knocking on their door and uh, or believing that it could come knocking on their door. So we've got a lot of people that are arming themselves, preparing themselves. Uh, but at the same time, owning a hammer doesn't mean I can build a house. Yeah. It doesn't even mean I can hit the head of a nail. So you need to know how to use that tool. And that's what a gun is, uh, because the, the actual weapon is the person. And we'll talk yeah. about that. That goes back to that warrior mentality. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, all of the things that you put into your hands are just tools that help you facilitate your your self-protection and, and defensive uh, actions. So, yes, a lot of people have guns. I don't think a lot of people are prepared uh, mentally to own that type of weapon. And I think that it's my job, your job, any, any person who uh, is willing to talk about it freely to educate people about the safe use of a firearm and uh, be prepared to have to use it in a, in a high-stress environment, protection of your life or life of your loved ones. And so gun safety is huge. Uh, you know, Jeff, Jeff's uh, rules of gun safety, if you follow those four rules, you'll never have a problem uh, with your gun. You never you'll will. never shoot. Yeah, you'll never have a, 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 people use the term accidental discharge, doesn't exist negligent no. discharge negligent discharge term. yeah so yeah, for example the, the actor term. um what's his name um alec baldwin who on the oh yeah set of yeah. his uh, movie killed somebody good lord yeah like honestly and and tried to blame it on everyone but his own negligent actions yeah yeah and, and again if you had been following those rules and what they are is uh you, all guns are always loaded always always uh yeah you never point a gun at anything you're not willing to destroy. Uh, keep your finger off the trigger until your sights are on the target and you've decided that you need to shoot whatever's in those sights. Uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. but And the fourth one is uh, always be sure what's downrange of your target so that you're not firing shots off blindly into you know yeah. wherever they land. So if he had followed any of those... You can get away. Honest, honestly, we've looked at this. You can get away with breaking one of those rules and probably still not ever have a, a negligent discharge. Uh, but if you break more than two of those rules at any given point in time with a loaded weapon in your hand, uh, you'll 
your chances of having a negligent discharge and having that gun hit something that, or that bullet hit something that you're not supposed to, uh, the odds go way up. Way up. So, yeah. Yeah. And the, the thing, yeah. So yeah, safety is super important. And I, I didn't get into, you know, how to clear, uh, malfunctions and, quote unquote, jammed guns and things like that, because sure. that's more for you got to have that weapon in your hand and you got to have a competent instructor standing in front of you that can actually step you through the mechanics of that process. Because, again, a gun, it's it's kind of like uh, the difference between a fixed blade and a folding knife. Yeah. As much as I am dependent on folding knives, because here's the deal. I can carry a folding knife wherever I go. It's tough for me to walk into the theater and have a Bowie knife strapped to my leg. It just doesn't fit socially, even though it might not be someplace. (laughs) But a folding knife is a mechanical device. So it's never going to, yeah, it's never going to be as strong as we make them and all that. It's still not going to be as strong as a fixed blade. Well, the thing about a gun, no matter how well they're made, uh, it's, yeah, there you go. It's a mechanical Come device. prepared, Mr. Emerson. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's that's part of it. We'll talk about preparation. That's next. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, the it can malfunction, and it can uh, because it's a mechanical device, uh, and that's why there's certain guns that I I think I recommended the the, the Glock in the in there uh, in the book. I know I did uh, because it's a very simple gun and it definitely generally does not fail along with a revolver. Uh, I carry a revolver uh, on me all the time because it's a little Smith and Wesson J frame, five shot 38 special uh, it hammerless. Uh, it will never not shoot. In other words, uh, I could stick it in, uh, in under the seat of my car, let's say, which yeah. I don't, but, it could stay there for 25 years and I could pick it up and pull the trigger and it would fire. Uh, so again, when it comes to choosing weapons and there's a reason why I, I like the Smith uh, J frame because it's small and it's easily concealable. Uh, I have other guns on me uh, with me uh, at all times too. So I can go for heavy firepower if I exhaust those five rounds. But again, that's part of that preparation thing. So, you know, why do you have two guns? Well, if I run out, if I run out of bullets, I'm going to pick the other one up. Uh, so, cause I can't, I don't walk around with multiple clips and things like that as a sure. civilian. So, uh, but anyway, that's, that's a little bit getting off on the gun thing a little bit, but if you carry any kind of weapon, whether it's a knife gun or whatever, or bazooka, uh, you better know how it works. You better know how to safely use it. And, uh, you, you better know how to effectively use it also. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad you spoke about preparation. But let's let's go to what you talk about next in the book. You know, and there's a there's an Ernest Emerson quote here that I really like: "Never back down from evil. If you turn your back on it, it will only attack you from behind." And that is the precursor to your chapter called "Protocols of Action." Why don't you dig into that for us a little bit? What are the protocols of action? Why is it that we need to know them, and how do we employ them in a way that makes sense? Let me get to the uh, notes on that because I have those uh, sitting here. But the protocols of action really are basically predicated on the idea that I need a plan because the thing about violence, as most of us should know, is we don't get to pick when violence happens to us. 
violence picks when it happens to us. In other words, uh, we're good guys, so we're not going out and engaging in firefights or fistfights or or uh, antagonizing people to provoke them. You know, like, for example, a road rage thing. I would never, ever get into a shouting match, uh, a finger-waving uh, antagonistic situation with anybody uh, at any time. Now, having said that, I was 18 to 30 at one time. So I, I didn't do as I say, not as I once did. did. Because, <laughs> yeah. So I've been there, done that. I'm real lucky that it never got more serious than a couple fists thrown uh, and things like that. But having said that, uh, the protocols of action basically are a person without a plan is unprepared. And yeah, so the protocols of action for me just define uh, the, the, the four different stages that you will be facing if you are confronted with an active shooter, a bad guy with a gun. And what they are is number one, detect, number two, evade, number three, barricade, and number four, engage. Now, they, they have to be followed in that order because, um, especially in, the, in terms of a, of a school or a mall or a theater or something like that, uh, the, the first thing that you want to do is detect uh, an imminent attack. And there are ways to, it, we can't know everything. We don't have a crystal ball. So I don't know if every person who walks th- into that mall is who's going to be a potential attacker or who isn't, or if, if a real bad guy walks in, I might miss it. But if I am aware and know that there's certain things to look for, uh, you know, method, the way they're dressed, the way they act, uh, what are they carrying? Why, why are they carrying a, a violin case like they, like they used to do in the old days with the, with the Thompson submachine gun? Uh, I'm joking, but there's certain things. And if you're, if you're aware of all the bombings and things that take place uh, in the Mideast, uh, why is that guy fiddling with that backpack? Why does it look like that backpack weighs 30, 40 pounds? Why is it a, why is a grown man carrying a child's backpack? Because they, they'll leave those child's backpacks now and uh, because they're less, they don't look as uh, suspicious. So again, there's a lot of things to, to look for. And that brings up uh, another non-politically correct thing. Uh, I profile and I profile like crazy. Uh, if you look like a bad guy, I'm going to be looking at you. And I don't care if you're, like I said, red, blue, or green, doesn't matter to me. If I get the hint that somebody walks into a restaurant or, or someplace and they look kind of janky to me or whatever, uh, I'm going to keep my eye on them. Uh, And yeah, guys with tattoos on their face and teardrops under their eyes and doesn't matter what nationality they are or just their demeanor. uh, I'm going to watch them and I'm going to keep my eye on them. So Again, there's a lot of things that, that go into the detect part, uh, but if you do, and again, sometimes you can detect it and it still happens uh, because you are not, I could see a guy 40 feet away and know that he's going to pull a, a, 
a small uh, or shotgun out from underneath a trench coat or something and start firing. I can see it happening. I've detected it. I thought he was kind of funky when he walked in. Boom, it starts happening. Uh, now I have to move to evade because the next thing to survive, and remember the name of the book was surviving, okay? Yeah. Which that's the first thing because how can I help or protect you or my wife or children or any other children or any other innocent people if I don't survive? So I need to have that as my primary primary goal. Now we'll, we'll get to the, the other part. I may have to sacrifice myself to save other people, but I have to survive until that becomes the last and final resort. So evade, you need to get the hell out of there. And if, if you're with your family in a mall and you all of a sudden hear a pop, 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 uh, you need to understand, uh, again, we'll talk about bias for action and, and things like that. Um, the, if gunshots, if I do identify that gunshots are going off in a mall, I'm getting my family the heck out of there. And I'm going to try and get as many other people the heck out of there as I can because distance is your friend. Uh, these guys generally are not trained marksmen. Uh, that might be, there might be exceptions to that, but at the same time, uh, I'm going to take the odds that they're not. So I'm going to get distance because it's harder for, uh, uh, believe me, I know how hard it is for me to hit a target when it's a hundred yards away versus five yards away. So again, those are just kind of common sense thing. So you want to get out of the area, get away from the line of fire, never leave yourself if you can um, in a place where those bullets might hit you. Now, if you can't evade, if you're in a room, if you're, if you're pinned down somewhere, the next thing you have to look for is barricade. And that's to put anything but something between you and the shooter. Now, uh, the difference between cover and concealment, okay? Concealment is me hiding behind a bush. And one of my Navy SEAL friends said this real simply. He said, the difference is in concealment is hiding behind the bush. Cover is hiding behind a cement wall. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, whether you jump into the closet or you get behind a trash can or behind a park bench, whatever it happens to be, you need to try and put something between you and the, uh, the shooter. Now, the, what's going on in the shooter's mind at the same time is, is we always think, oh my gosh, the stress of a, of a, of a uh, violent act against me, holy smokes, you know, people talk about that all the time. You know, all of these things happen to you and all that. Well, guess what? They're also happening to the shooter. And unless he's got an emotionless uh, uh, nervous system, uh, he's also agitated. He's also, his mind's racing. Uh, he's also uh, got the adrenaline rush and everything that, that you or I would have in a situation like that. So uh, anytime you can make yourself a harder target, he's going to swing to the easy targets. That's if someone is running away or running past him and someone's sitting down, on their hands and knees begging for their life, guess what's one he's going to shoot? He's, he's not going to shoot the hard target. He's going to shoot the, the easy target. So again, putting yourself uh, out of sight and maybe uh, in a safe position, uh, he may pass on you and go on. 
Uh, so if you if you're in a school and you have a whole bunch of school kids, uh, you got to get them down behind those desks. You got to throw the desk down. You got to, you know, barricade that door. Uh, throw everything that's in that room against that door because if he comes up and shoves against the door um, and can't get in, he's going to go to the next door where he could get in. And again, that sounds a little cold and and maybe cruel, if you will, but it, let's say I'm a teacher. My, my job is to protect the people in under my uh, wings. Uh, it's also to protect everyone that might be involved, but at the same time, I can only do what, what I can do uh, expeditiously and to the best of my abilities. So uh, the barricade part is what you do when you can't escape. Now, the last thing is engage. Because the principle behind that is if you have no other choice, uh, you think about a, uh, a guy who's trying to shoot a target, let's say. Let's, let's clean this up a little bit. I'm shooting at a target and it's 10 feet away. And Nikki, you're standing off to the side of me and you're throwing baseballs at me or tennis balls. How well do you think I'm going to be able to hit that bullseye if you have a whole bucket of tennis balls or baseballs and you're throwing them at me when I'm trying to shoot 10 shots into that O-ring, okay? Uh, it's that principle. And again, I've kind of used that as an analogy to just kind of get people to understand. If, if a shooter is able to pick and choose and shoot at his discretion without being impeded, he is in what we call a 100% offensive mindset. If he is engaged in any way, like, for example, throwing those baseballs at him, uh, he does not now have 100% offensive uh, capability. He's got to have a, a uh, less than 100% capability. I'm looking for a word. I can't find it. But uh, degraded, uh, degraded capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Degraded capacity. And whether that's down 10%, 20%, 30%, or 100% depends on the level of engagement that he faces. So, again, uh, the, the and they and I guess the FBI and everybody will tell you you know the same thing. Uh, I think they have run run hide fight, which is their version yeah, of the yeah, protocols right. of action. Yeah, that was so a movie is, that got made with by that name as well. Uh, yeah, Daily yeah. Wire made it. It was pretty cool. There, well, there you go. But anyway, the last one is fight. Well, mine is engage, and that means to engage that uh, that bad guy with a gun. Now, if I have a firearm, hell yeah. You know what I mean? It, it'll be the best thing that I can do at that time is return fire to that guy. Because again, if you, if you look at all the statistics and the way that these things almost always, because there's never a hundred percent, no matter what I say, uh, there's always a, an exception to everything, but almost always the the shooting starts when the, when the bad guy with a gun is engaged by someone else with a gun. The shooting stops almost every single time when the bad guy with a gun is engaged by someone else with a gun. Now, whether that's a civilian or an off-duty police officer or a uh, responders who get there, that's when he stops shooting children and shooting random people because now he's taken fire. 
And if, and if he does anything, he's going to try and return the fire against the people shooting at him. But nine times out of 10, you know what he does? He puts the gun up under his chin and kills himself. Uh, and, you know, that's it takes a gun to stop a gun in that kind of case. I'm, I'm, because think about it. When is he going to stop shooting if he has no opposition? There's only there's only one answer to that. Well, there's two bullets. answers. <laughs> he runs out of bullets or his, his weapon malfunctions. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And when he is not engaged, he's he's shooting at sitting ducks. Uh, but when the ducks are flying, and I don't know if you've ever duck hunted before, but you can shoot a duck pretty easy when it's just floating around in the water out in front of you, but you put them up in the air, it, it's a lot harder to hit them. Uh, so it's a, it's that same principle again. If 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 you hit or create a spontaneity uh, in the situation that that shooter has to deal with, he's no longer able to pick and choose and do everything that he wants to do. So uh, in a nutshell, that's that's the protocols of action. No, those are awesome, man. Paid, barricade and engage. Engage. Yeah, those are awesome. Yeah. You know, in uh, volume two inside your book, you started off by talking about Ernest Emerson's commandments of a warrior, right? And you, you really go and, and you talked about these as 10 principles for people to live by. I think they're very powerful. And there's a quote from you at the beginning of that uh, volume that says, moral strength like physical strength is lost when not exercised on a regular basis. I got to tell you, I think that's bang on. And there's far too little moral strength being engaged in the world today. I mean, if you look at our, uh, our, our, our politics in the world, in the United States in particular right now, there's so many people that don't engage in moral strength. They're moral pygmies. And so the few people that are engaging in acts of, of moral courage uh, stand out because of that. And I, I, I think about it. I, I look at um, uh, the woman who's running for governor in Arizona, Carrie Lake. Uh, that woman is she's just a, a barracuda man. Those media folks come at her yeah. and she just with great moral clarity and moral courage yeah. rips them to shreds. And that's the sort of thing you're talking about. Correct. It's absolutely that thing. Uh, the, the reason that I think a lot of uh, moral courage, it seems to be on the wane, if you will, for the, at the present time is because it's not easy it's a difficult task because yeah. for because you really are going to be hammered. You're going to have people coming after you. Uh, they're going to challenge your uh, your ethics and your morals. And and having a a strong basis that's that's based on and you know I'm not bashful about saying it based on our Judeo Christian uh, heritage culture heritage. Yeah, it's. It's all about those things. And, you know, the, the thing about it is really having clarity. People don't they read. The, think about the kids today. What do they watch on TV? They watch video games and they watch the little ones watch those goofy anime cartoons that there's no moral uh, message that, that comes through any of that. And I think even though they were meant for fun, I think the cartoons that we used to watch uh, and things like that, starting out as, as even as little children, I think a lot of those things had, they had lessons in them uh, because I don't think they were done just strictly to uh, cause endorphin release in, in the brain like they are now. And that's another thing that 
there's no moral to any of those cartoons and anime and all that other kind of crud that the kids watch. But again, uh, the commandments of a warrior that, that I wrote down are the things that I believe we should be aware of, live by. We, we need to live by a code because we need to, we're constantly challenged with decisions. Should I do this or should I do that? Oh man, you know, and like everybody else, it's like having the, the little angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. We all, we all walk around with those two uh, entities uh, completely challenging us all the time. And it takes strength and conviction to completely ignore the, the bad uh, influence and just go with the good, but it's work. It's doing the wrong thing is always the easiest thing. It, it just, that's why so many people default to that. Doing the right thing is always more difficult uh, because it takes courage and it takes a conviction and it takes sometimes doing things that might go against the, the grain of popular culture or the, the, uh, the ebb and flow of what society has now decided is something that they're going to accept. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I just think uh, by writing something down like that and having it as a code, uh, we also look back on all warriors that have, have existed in, in history. They always lived by a code. They were held oh. to a higher standard. Always, because a warrior with the skill set of a warrior without a moral code or a moral compass or a set of, I guess, rules, uh, he's the same as the bad guy. He's the bad guy. He, yeah. And, uh, you know, but I'll be honest with you, a lot of bad guys have rules and codes, too. They're just they're just on I the stopped. opposite side of the fence. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. the. the those yeah, are just I like the things it. I that, I, really that I live by. Yeah, they're really great. So you you get into the attributes of a survivor. Yeah, that, that's, that's just one big chapter that you have in there. And right after that, you get into the attitude and mindset required to, to, to basically deal with a bad guy with a gun and survive the attack of an active shooter. So why, why, don't, we, why don't we delve into these two areas right now? Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing I want to say is the if we if we talk about guns one more time, uh, part of that attitude is you have to be willing to to use that gun. And I think a lot of people, like I said, having the hammer doesn't mean you can build the house. Uh, having that gun does not protect you. It does not create a force field around you, you have to be the, you, you have to have like a little bit of a paradigm shift because a lot of people don't get this. And again, as a, as a fighter and trainer and all that other stuff throughout my life, it's, it's not the gloves that I had on. Uh, it's not the shoes that I wore. Uh, it's the person. It's the, the person is the fighter. The person is yeah. the weapon. And you need to be able to understand that it didn't, if, if you can create, and that's part of what uh, I based all of my teaching on throughout the years is I need to create a fighter. I need to create a warrior rather than someone with a tool in their hand who doesn't know how to use it or isn't willing to use it because at the end of a, of a 
session or, or a seminar or a three or four day class or whatever. All I have is a bunch of weak fighters with a weapon in their hand. I'd much rather develop the fighter or the warrior mentality first because, because then it doesn't matter what tool they pick up, whether it's a stick or a rock or a knife or a, or a gun or whatever. I've got a fighter. I've got a warrior who's going to fight to the very end to protect himself and to protect others. So that in a nutshell, that's kind of what the, the attitude is basically about uh, the mindset, the attributes of a survivor are basically education, preparation, uh, training. Uh, we'll talk about that specifically a little bit later, but uh, you know, there are people who, Again, when we look at, uh, I talked about the statistics about surviving uh, what, what at one time were mortal wounds. Uh, the there are statistics about people that survive uh, natural disasters, uh, uh, heinous injuries, uh, terrorist attacks, uh, surviving a ship that's going down. Uh, and there are there are certain common attributes that are found in a lot of those people that survive. Now, having said that, uh, luck is always a factor, and uh, being in the right place at the right time. I mean, think about it: uh, you're in a combat situation, and you walk up and take a position, or crawl up and take a position, and a grenade gets tossed at you. And you happen to be to the left of, of your, your teammate who's, who's closer to the grenade, he gets killed. Uh, if you had taken that right-hand position, it would have been you. So again, there's, there's ex extraneous factors that we really don't have control over. But if we can identify the things that we can control, then we can, number one, reinforce those, train how to do them more and more efficiently and better, and then also know what are those same attributes that exist on the other side. And then basically create effective countermeasures that now are going to work against those types, different types of attacks. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But you gotta be able to define it. And, and again, uh, just I just happen to have been involved in this long enough that I've done a lot of lifetime of research and everything, I guess, uh, I'm able to, I guess, basically put a lot of those things down in, in one spot at one time for people to take a look at. No, it's this is a really very useful book. Very, very useful book. So the next couple of chapters are around preemptive self-defense. I thought that was very powerful. And then attacking the attacker, right? Uh, yeah. I thought that was pretty, pretty cool as well. So why don't we get into into those why is preemptive self-defense an important thing for us to to get good at and why do we sometimes need to attack the attacker well the thing about preemptive self-defense is this uh i would i would say who is the best fighter uh, in the world and my answer and i and i say that just to kind of trigger people into thinking about this. Who's the most effective fighter in the entire world? It's the guy who never ever has to get into a fight because whatever they've been doing, um, 
the, the, the last thing on earth you ever want to get into is a fight or an attack. Uh, so whatever they've been doing uh, has prevent has succeeded in not allowing an attack to happen. Now, whether they are <laughs> uh, never go out of the house or not, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, but what I'm saying is some people do not put themselves in unknowing situations where harm or danger is lurking when they could have easily just not gone into that situation. And I, I always use the, the little analogy that I think a lot of people could relate to is I'm not going to stop for a beer on the way home from a movie at one o'clock on a Saturday night at a bar that has 25 Harleys sitting out in front of it. That's not the bar I'm going to go into to have, have a casual beer. There's probably some people in there that are rip roaring, ready to throw some fists or, you know, what are you looking at kind of attitude. So I'm not going to go in there. And what that is, is that's, that's almost the epitome of preemptive self-defense. Now that idea is also part of that protocols of action about uh, detection and evasion. Uh, Don't, you don't, for a, for a young lady, you don't walk, you know, let's say a, look, a young girl works at a, in a mall and it closes at 10 o'clock at night. It's dark out. And the only people left are a few employees from other stores and things like that. in one of those big giant mall underground parking lots or whatever, man, I'm telling you, if you had to park all the way on the other side of the, of the, of the lot, it's, or if you choose chose to, it's not probably a real good idea knowing that at 1030 at night, you're going to have to walk all the way out there by your lonesome. So again, you do things that uh, do not remove danger specifically, but they, they change the odds. And again, if you think about Las Vegas, I think what their odds are like 3% or whatever in favor of the, of the house and look at the money that it's look at what it's done for Las Vegas, that the odds don't have to change very dang much to, to actually start acting in your favor. And so the thing about preventative self-defense is again, being able to recognize the attributes of a potential attacker. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there are a lot of tells that they're, that's a fact. And the, not putting yourself in what you would think are, or what, what you might not realize are dangerous situations, which is part of educating yourself about where do attacks occur? Who do they occur against? Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a stone cold fact that more women are attacked every single day than men. Of because, course. yeah, a man's targets. not going to, hell yes. And, and most of the time, uh, they go into the scared deer in the headlights thing, they don't fight back. Uh, and again, think about how simple this is to, to, to actually see in actual reality. Why do these fools go out and, and attack 85-year-old grandmothers carrying a purse down the street? They go up and smack them and all of a sudden pop purse. The lady goes down, they grab the purse and run. It's because that's the ultimate easy target. And... Uh, I'm telling you, I would love to be 
on a street close enough to see that about to take place because I'm telling you right now, I would, I would, I don't know what I'd do, but that bad guy would, would regret it. He'd have to, for a long he would have time. to go to a hospital, yeah, if not to it. the grave. Yeah. yeah so amen. again, it, it's, it's one of those things where, um, know if you're a, know if you're a potential target for gosh sakes, come on. Uh, you know, it, Unfortunately, both my parents and my grandparents are no longer with us, but if, and they lived in rural areas, so it really wasn't too much of a factor, but let's say I lived in New York city. Uh, I would be telling my grandma, look, grandma, here's the deal. Don't go anywhere alone. If, if you need something, I'm going to give you a list of people that you can call that I know at least out of those people, someone's going to show up and they'll escort you to and from the grocery store or to the bodega or whatever it happens to be. Because again, you know, you have to realize who you are. Now, I'm 67 years old. I don't have the vim and vigor that I had when I was 30. And I don't think that I present to someone who might not know me, for say, uh, for example, uh, I would be looked at as an e easier target than a strapping 40-year-old guy. Uh, that's a fact, that the likelihood that I'll be attacked is higher than that, you know, the 40-year-old. The uh, he just looks like he'd be a little bit tougher to tangle with. Uh, so e even in terms of someone like me who would be, you'd consider maybe having some training and all that in my background, I have to realize just who the hell I am and what am I presenting, you know, again. And again, you talk about all of the, the different things, your, your presence and things like that. Uh, and bad guys, they can pick out the weak targets in a matter of not, I don't even want to say seconds, in milliseconds, they can scan a crowd. Yeah, they, and, they and, have this, this innate predator instinct in yeah. them. Just like real predators, when they look at a herd, they, they know who's the weak person in the yeah. herd and they're going to, the, the weak animal in the herd, and they're going to go yeah. call it. It's, it's, it's true. You know, I had a friend of mine, his name's Tim Larkin. He's been on the show and he teaches oh, self-protection yeah. courses and he talks yeah. about how not to make yourself a target. So I totally understand that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's again, you got to know who you are, and what you're presenting. Uh, you know, it's like, um, if you look like a soft target, your your odds of being picked out by a bad guy, they go up a little bit. Um, I'm not using a walker yet, which would mean that I would be even an easier target. So again, I'm going to be aware of those things. And uh, maybe I'll just have a bigger gun with me when there I get go. to that point. <laughs> I got to try and even those odds out one more. 44 Magnum, as Clint Eastwood said. <laughs> yeah. And cannons. <laughs> there you go. But you know, the preemptive self-defense, you go into, and we, we've all heard this, it's kind of almost cliche now, you go into a restaurant or, or someplace, you, you really scan the crowd. I look at everybody that I can possibly see in that uh, environment yeah. so that I'm looking, and again, I make slight eye contact with almost everyone that I can. And that's not a challenge stare or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but the thing about a predator, if you think about what is the greatest fear of a predator, the fear is to be discovered. 
So that's why they have camouflage. That's why they use stealth. That's why they ambush. And it, again, a predator is a predator. It doesn't matter if it's a, if it's a bipedal human or a four-legged tiger. Uh, the principles do not change. And I think a lot of people are under the misconception that because we're humans, no rules that apply to animals apply to us. Hell, they all apply to us. Uh, they, those things that are in our genetic code from the beginning uh, of time, uh, they still exist. And so the principles of predation, uh, again, stealth, uh, deception, uh, ambush, those are the tools of the predator. Well, the, the first thing that a predator does not want to be is seen. seen. So again, when I, when I say, um, if you th think about India, what, you know, all those people over the years were being taken by tigers. And then some real smart Indian guy said, wait a minute, uh, we're always attacked from behind. I'm going to paint eyes on the back of my hat so that it always looks like I'm looking backwards. And lo and behold, the people that started wearing those hats, the tiger attacks went down. Uh, it's just a fact. And you can't argue with facts. They're, they don't have an, a judgmental uh, component. A fact is a fact. One plus one is two, two plus two is four. Uh, so when you think about the ideas of preventative self-defense, for example, when I'm talking about going into a restaurant or someplace, uh, I look around and I look at people and just to let them know, I know you're here. And if it's a friendly young couple just out on a date, the I just glanced at him. If it's a bad guy out on a date or whatever, he's going to be like, he's going to have a completely different reaction to me looking in his eyes. Sure. Uh, so again, it, it depends on uh, not so much what I'm doing, but how people are reacting to it. Because I always tell people this, look, if you have, if you see some suspicious or someone suspicious, call the cops. I'd call the cops. Well, no, I don't want to, I don't want to inconvenience someone. What if he's not, well, if he's not a bad guy or up to no good, they're going to question him and he's going to convince them that he's not, and he's going to be on his way and he'll lose, lose at 35, 40 minutes of his time. If he's a bad guy, they're going to pick him up and take him away. But you need to understand that you can't be bashful about no. about surviving and doing the no, things that it's crazy. you need. Yeah, but we're all worried about, uh, oh, you shouldn't judge others and all of that. And that's taught to us in, a, in a, any number of ways and all that. Well, you know what? I judge everybody. I judge everyone. Yeah, and uh, it, it's not that I'm judging someone by the color of their skin. I'm judging them by their behavior and I'm also judging them. And again, you can, you can pillory me if you, if, if you think I'm, that this is incorrect, but there are certain groups of people, ethnic groups and all that, that statistically, if I'm in an area, uh, they're the ones that are probably going to commit more of the crimes. So yeah. Uh, and it, again, when we talk about, I'll use a, another kind of stupid analogy. The when we were all worried after 9/11 about uh, terrorist hijackings of the planes and, and all of that good stuff, 
I wouldn't pay as much attention to three nuns dressed in habits waiting to get on the yeah, airplane. Yeah, as much as you would to Middle Eastern guys like like me. I get it, man. And I'm from the Middle East. You gotta, you're gonna have to be smart. Yeah. About it. Jesse well, Jackson, uh, you know, he um, he he once said that uh, when he walked down the street in certain neighborhoods and he, he heard footsteps behind him and he looked behind and he saw that it was a, a Caucasian guy, it made him relax. And, and I thought, wow, that's a hell of a thing to say. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it is what yeah. it is. And, you know, for myself, um, I, I have not been the victim of a violent crime, thank God. Um, but it, it, it's not so much about the person's ethnicity or color or, or whatever. There's a certain vibe that certain folks give yeah. off. And to be honest with you, in Canada, uh, most of the guys, I, I, I've been accosted by three men threatening me with violence. It didn't go mm-hmm. there. They're all white guys. They're yeah. all white guys, you, you know? And yep. they were, they, they had a look in their eye. And I knew, you know, this, this was a time before I was scared. It was time before training or before I had anything yeah. on me to counter that. And I knew I just needed to get the heck out of there. And that was really what was important. Nothing else. Well, there's your, there's your preventative self-defense. You, you ID the situation, you ran it through your computer, came up with a conclusion and a a countermeasure. Now a countermeasure doesn't have to be, uh, I punch somebody in the face. Uh, It could be get the hell out. Get the hell out. That's it. That is an active valid countermeasure because again uh like i just gonna kind of alluding to with the uh the road rage for gosh sakes that person may have a clint eastwood 44 magnum and he may be it may be sitting on his lap yeah and uh you know if someone uh was jockeying with me for the same spot on the freeway at the same time Go ahead, have it. Take it. It's it's yours. Yeah. Because again, it's like my buddy said, hey, Ernie, I don't understand why everybody's speeding around on those freeways and dodging through cars. It's not like we're in a race. We're all going to a different, a different uh, place, you know? So again, if you just start thinking about stuff like that, don't cause a situation, you know? And, and believe me, I, I know all about it. I've been very guilty of it. Um, I have two, but I have two, and and I and I, yeah. and, I and, and I'm you know working on not letting my my uh, tendency to get offended too easily. Uh, my landlord, yeah. where where I where I rent space for my office, said to me, Nikki, you get offended too easily. Relax. It, it it's not that personal. Number one, and and it's it, it, you lose your you lose your cool. You you lose your ability to properly assess the situation. Oh, yeah. That that is a hundred percent true statement that last part that you just said if you are emotionally overcome or overwhelmed uh that's what training does that's that's part of the stress inoculation that lieutenant colonel david grossman has so eloquently described in all of his writings and all that yeah yeah yeah, it's again the assessment of who you the, the toughest opponent opponent we will ever face in our entire life is the one looking back at you in the mirror. And if you can learn to conquer that opponent, then everything else becomes much, much easier. But you need to, have, to be able to do a, a rugged, brutal self-evaluation. And you need to be able to do it on an ongoing basis. Uh, the 
the thing about that is, again, when it comes to the gun or any kind of training, like martial arts training and all that, oh, man, I've had six weeks of karate training. You know, I'm not going to take any guff from anybody anymore. You know, it's probably not the, the spirit of Bushido right there that you probably should have gotten out of your training, that the, the true part of the training that you should have carried away, forget the block or the punch or the kick, is really, you know what? I am so sorry I offended you. You know what? My fault, my bad. Let's just walk the other direction and, and not have this escalate. That takes a lot. Again, when you're talking about personal courage, I'm telling you right now, it's a lot harder to back down from a situation than it is to engage in a situation as a, as a man, or at least as in my case, it's real humble. It's It's really hard. Yeah. I'm going to tell you this right now during this episode, I got a few texts from somebody about a situation I'm dealing with and it just caused my blood to boil to read them. Oh, you know, and I'm like, I should call this son of a bitch. I should give him a piece of my mind. And, um, (laughs) and well, you know, I'm what? not going to, I'm not going to. Yeah. I'm um, there's the best thing to do to this situation. And this fellow is to just send him love and peace and, and, and mentally and emotionally kick him out of my space and move forward. You know, he did something to take away some, to, to take away some potential clients from us. That pisses me off. That was not cool. You know, um, someone was well, potentially going to work with us and he persuaded him to go mm-hmm. work with someone else. And, and wow. I want to go punch him in the mouth over that. I'll, I'll be honest yeah. with you. Um, but here's the truth. These are all adults. They can do whatever the hell they want. Um, they owe me nothing. I owe them nothing other than, you know, they contracted for some work with me. Yeah. I delivered it, all that, all that good stuff. Now's the time to just say, look, you know what? This is the kind of person you are. I know who you are. Thanks for the lesson. God bless. Goodbye. Yeah. Go, I'm putting you in my rear view mirror. And that's how it's going to be. There you go. That's how it's going to be. Well, you can sleep better. I, I understand it. Uh, we always, in in the certain situations, you have you always you have the right to be angry. It's just how do you deal with that? And again, uh, as someone who might be a little wiser than I was when I was twenty five or thirty, uh, walking away is usually the best answer to that. The yeah, thing about it is, yeah. But the other thing too is you don't want to be naive about it. Uh, because again, it's it's interesting that that you brought this up because it's it's a good point to discuss. You need are you not you? I'm not talking to you, Nick. I'm talking to the to the general public, the readers of the book or listeners of to this podcast. You need to expect bad behavior. You yeah. need to expect that bad guys are going to do bad things. Bad shit. Because if yeah. you yeah, if you don't expect that, then you're going to get overwhelmed, overcome. Uh, ambushed or whatever the situation might be because walking around with those rose colored glasses while the rest of the people are walking around with, you know, guns and knives, so to speak, uh, you're going to get hammered Uh, wearing blinders. You're going to get hammered. There's no question about it. You have to have a realistic view of human behavior. And again, uh, I'm not a cynic. Don't, don't ever get me wrong. I believe in the goodness of, inherent goodness of, of humans and man and mankind. But at the same time, I'm, I'm a hard realist. And I know uh, that I'm prepared for something really bad to happen to me, both mentally and physically, uh, because it's like the old adage of um, 
if I carry a gun and I never have to pull it out of my holster, I'll thank God that I never had to pull that out of my holster. But if I carry a gun and I had to pull that gun out of my holster, I'll thank God that I had that gun with me. And I when could the time pull it out of my holster. Needed. Sure. Yeah. So again, it's it's that it's that mentality. I don't want it to happen. I don't look for it. But by gosh, if something does happen, I've got to be prepared to, to deal with it. And a lot of people just aren't. And that's why you never, ever want to be the person that says, wow, I never saw that coming. And yeah, well, in, in this situation yeah. in my business, I really never did see that. Never coming, did see maybe it. I should have. Well, um, I was just going to add a caveat to that. That's a, one of those things where there's always an exception yeah. uh, because you yeah. can't. I didn't can't know. see. No, yeah. you can't see everything. And, you know, it is what it is. But the smart thing is going forward, I'm just going to make sure that, you know, my lady, um, she's really good at, uh, at picking up on whether someone's a good person to come into our world. Man, I'll tell you, women. And I'm going to have her do that <laughs> on a go forward basis. And, and I think that's important. And say what you're going to say, then let's segue to the next piece. And, yeah, and, yeah. I was going to say, I don't know what it is about, about gals, but I've had the same exact conversation with so many guys. My wife can really pick people out. They know almost immediately if that guy's got yeah. a hidden agenda or he's bad. I'm lucky I've got one of those wives also. And uh, she's <laughs> she saved me from a lot of those. I never saw yeah. that coming situations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she could have, she, she would have saved me if I'd listened and I didn't. And that's, that's oh. on me, but you know, it's fine. I take full responsibility and I'm, and I'm moving forward because I got, I got to build my business and I can't deal with these people, but the next well, Nick, segue. Let sorry, me just ahead. say one last thing, Nick. Sure. Every, de every defeat is a lesson learned. Yeah, it is. Every defeat it, it is. is a lesson learned. Amen, okay. brother. Amen. There you go. So the next segments we're segueing into the legal implications the legal principles, you know, the legal implications for self-defense. I think that's an important one. Legal advice on deadly force. Let's let's briefly talk about that uh, because, you know, people need to be aware that there are legal implications involved with oh, protecting yeah. yourself. Unfortunately, that's a fact. Yep. Well, number one, and the most important thing I think that exists, period, is have an attorney. Know someone that you can call and and tell them exactly what's happened to you, and uh, not not the not the attorneys that you see advertised on the back of a bus, but a real attorney, a defense type of lawyer. Because if you are ever involved in a situation that does involve self defense or use of a deadly weapon or use of deadly force, uh, you're going to need them, and you don't want to at that point, have to make a decision about who do I choose? Because I'm telling you right now, doctors and lawyers are just like auto mechanics. Some are really, really good. Some aren't all that good. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same principle, doesn't care. So legal principles. Okay. Uh, number one, familiarize yourself with the laws in, in, where you live. In other words, your, your federal laws, uh, your state laws, your city laws, uh, county laws, whatever those things may be, you should you should at least know, you know, in the in the states, for example, uh, you've got castle laws, you've got a, a requirement to uh, retreat, you've got stand your ground laws. There's a whole bunch of different stuff, and and I can I can be doing something 
legal, cross a state line and be doing the same exact thing and be 100% illegal and go to jail for it. And whereas in the other, you know, on the other side of that imaginary line, I wouldn't have gone to jail. So you got to got to educate yourself a little bit about this. Yeah. But the main thing, the live in a red state, not thing. a blue state in America, there if you, you can help it. There you, yeah, it's it does kind of follow those uh, those rules. Uh, but the other thing, too, is you need to understand that if you engage in self-defense, you are no longer just the victim. You, you have to understand that's a, that's a kind of a shady, it's a real subtle thing to have to understand because the, if, if you were attacked by a person with a, with a, uh, a pipe and they were pounding on you and you were, you went to the ground and they pounded on you and they kicked you and they grabbed your wallet and they ran away. That case is pretty much cut and dried. Okay. Most law enforcement, most DAs, everybody's going to see that you are the victim in that case. And the other guy was the perpetrator. When it comes to self-defense, if a guy, for example, says, Nikki, get the F out of here, or I'm going to kick your rear end. Yeah. And you say, go ahead and try it. And then he beats the hell out of you with a pipe. If there were any, any witnesses to that, he gave you the opportunity to, to get out of there. And again, as men, sometimes the challenge overcomes and the emotions overcome yeah. logic, uh, which I understand. You got to, you got to, you got to, you got to take the opportunity to get away from violence if yeah. you can. If it's you not possible, it's it. a different story. But if you can, you got to do it. Yeah. That makes total sense. Then, when it comes down to, well, I carry a knife for self-defense, or I carry a gun for self-defense. Uh, you have to understand something. No matter what, the guy beating on you with the pipe or the guy shoving you and telling you he's going to kick your rear end, if the minute that you pull out, let's go with a knife for a sec for a second, because a lot of people don't carry guns, but they, they have knives on them. The minute that you pull that knife out of your pocket and deploy it, whether it's a fixed blade or, or a folder, you have now done the exact same thing, exact same thing as pulling a gun out of a holster and pointing it at the person. In the eyes of the law, that is now escalated into the use of a deadly weapon. So you have taken what might have been a punch and shove, and now you've escalated it. You've introduced a deadly weapon into that. And again, we're talking about standing in front of a guy in a black robe sitting in a, on a podium <laughs> looking down on you and deciding your future, uh, you have to understand that. Because we've had, believe me, I've testified on a number of cases, uh, a large number of cases, and I've, I've always been on the, the, the good guy's side, believe me. But there was a case that I refused. Uh, this happened recently. The guy was at a uh, soccer game with the kids. Uh, the parents got into a tussle across the field over a bad call or a bad behavior on the field or whatever. And when the guy was leaving, he shouted something over at the people that were shouting something back at him. So they came around the, the field and confronted him on the way out. He pulled out a knife. Well, 
he didn't get into a fight. They didn't grab him and throw him to the ground. They didn't do anything to him. They were just, we're going to kick your ass and all that kind of banter was going on. He pulled out a knife and he, somebody was there called the police, man, the guy's got a knife, blah, blah, blah. He went to jail and he was faced with a, a severe criminal penalty. And he had called me to, uh, to testify uh, for whatever, in whatever capacity I could to help his cause. And I said, you know what? I'm not, I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm on the side of people that make good, right decisions and are victims. Uh, you could have taken a beating, but until that beating started and you were in fear of great and grave uh, bodily harm or deadly force, if you will, because deadly force doesn't have to be a weapon. It can be, if you were Arnold Schwarzenegger and I was uh, five foot three and weighed 125 pounds, a disparity of force uh, will also be looked at by, by attorneys and by the DA. So sometimes just the size is a deadly, you know, this guy's going to, he could have killed me with his bare hands. So, but again, when you talk about the things that are required, you need to have um, before you can actively engage in a reciprocal action, whether it's deadly force or anything up to and including deadly force, there has to be a certain requirement that's presented by the bad guy. Uh, there has to be uh the the means yeah, you gotta you gotta be in fear for your life you you can't yeah. just pull out a knife willy-nilly and and and, and, no, and no, no. brandish it you or a gun or a gun or any, any yeah like if they're just yelling at you you got to keep walking away now if they come at you and block your way to the car and say i'm going to do this to you and you got your little kid that's a different story but you can't just pull out a knife i, I understand that I understand yeah. that. Yeah. Well, that, and people, it's your not best you. advice is you got to have an attorney and you got to let the attorney handle that yeah. and get yourself out of stupid situations. Well, there's got to be presented to you the means, the opportunity, the intent, and then the action. So if, if not all of those are presented, you don't have the right in the eyes of the law to actually escalate it to that level of uh, countermeasures. Yeah. So, and again, if you, you say, well, what do you mean by that? The guy, the guy was yelling at me that he was going to, he was going to kill me and he had an ax in his hand, but he was standing across the street. Does that give me the right to pull a gun out and, and shoot him? No, not in, in any case in before any judge, because if he starts he running towards it. you with the ax, then yeah, yeah maybe he doesn't have the opportunity. And that's, an, that's one of those four things I just described. He has the means and the intent that he has the weapon. He's got the attitude, but he doesn't have the opportunity. So he can't hit me. Now, if he's standing across the street with a sniper rifle and he's pointing it at me, then the distance doesn't become a factor because that, that weapon can reach out and touch me from a distance. So, you know, you have to look at all of those things. And, and the last thing is you have to understand that the when you pull out a deadly weapon, uh, there's only one reason ever to pull a deadly weapon is because you think you're going to get killed because anything really below that. And again, when you talk about your children and all that, that's, yeah, that's yeah. again, one of those exceptions. Uh, I'm not going to let someone kill someone that I'm there to protect. 
or anyone for that matter, so to speak. But, you know, there has to be that much of a reason to use a deadly weapon against another human being because the, yeah. the, uh, the result of using that deadly weapon can be, can be death. So can be death. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. So you got to stay on the right side of the wall and we, we only have a couple more minutes left Ernest. So let's, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Let's really quickly um, discuss, you know, protecting your house, protecting yourself and protecting schools. I know those can be big. We'll, we'll probably do just another episode just on, on protecting schools because that deserves its own yeah. time. But maybe in two minutes, if it you does. can just wrap those three up, that'd be great. Well, the thing about protecting uh, your house, uh, the first thing is get to know your neighbors and, and have a good relationship with your neighbors. Now, you don't have to have them over for barbecue every Saturday or Sunday, but have all the phone numbers, have all of those things available to you. Uh, you should uh, be able to contact them and say, hey, there's a suspicious guy out here. Uh, I, you know, keep an eye on him. He's walking up towards your, your house and expect that they would do the same thing for you. Uh, you also have to, uh, you, the neighborhood watch thing, that's a legit, that's a legit countermeasure to uh, crime in, an, in a neighborhood. Uh, the other thing is uh, get a security system. Uh, because again, bad guys are going to go for the easy target, get a dog for gosh sakes, the, the best security system that exists for a house when there's not a person in it. And even when there's a person in it is a big, excuse me, barking dog. Again, predators, they don't want to go fight the, the linebacker. They want to fight the frail, sickly, uh, hobbled uh, zebra that can't keep up with the herd. They're going to pick the easy target. Make things difficult for the bad guys. Uh, the don't put a and here's a very important one. Don't put anything up uh, on your house that says something to the effect of "Don't worry about the dog. Beware of the owner." And it's got a picture of a gun on it or something. Guess what? The number one item that exists for a thief to go and steal. What is it? It's not the computer. It's not even the gold jewelry. It's guns. If they think that you have guns in your house, they're going to break into that house and try and get those guns. So people who have the NRA stickers and all that on their cars. Well, that's cool when you're driving down the street, maybe, and all that. But when that car's parked in your driveway and it's obvious that it's your car and you've got NRA life member sticker on your car. And believe me, I'm an NRA. I'm an NRA life member, but you won't find that on the vehicle sitting in my driveway, because what does that also say? I've got guns in this house. And if they ID the fact that you're not home and they think you have guns, there's a high probability that you're going to be one of the houses that they're going to try and break into. So again, there's a lot of, lot more details that we can get into about that, but that's, that's the preventative things, you know? Uh, yeah. When you're inside your house, once a criminal enters your house when you're home, that's when really, really, really bad things happen. Um, way even worse than when, if that same criminal was trying to take your purse or your wallet out on the street, because now they're inside a closed environment where they are safe and you are not. And they can, they can stay there as long as they want. They can do whatever they want. And people don't understand that. That's the most dangerous type of confrontation that exists is when you, when the wife elbows you and goes, there's somebody downstairs. I heard him, I heard the door open and close, go down, go down there, go down there. 
That's one of the worst decisions that you can make. The best decision is have a door on that bedroom that locks. Get a hold of the police. Because the thing is, how do you know who's down there? Is it one guy? Is it two guys? Is it four or five guys? And believe me, there's a lot of robberies that take place that are gang related. And I don't mean street gang related, but more than one guy committing the robbery because they, they're strength in numbers. There's more eyes on the scene. They can tell when something, someone's coming. They can tell when a car is pulling in the driveway. They, all of those stupid things that you, you don't think of. Uh, so defending your house by grabbing your firearm, sitting on the bed. And I'm all about that, believe me, because again, what is that last thing that you have to do in the protocols of action? Engage. Engage. But what, but what is it? It is the last, last thing. Last thing. Yeah. But when you engage, you've got to engage effectively with overwhelming force of violence, because the only thing that stops violence is more violence. In other words, if this guy's a Bruce Lee used to say it, if, if you uh, uh, if you punch me, I'll break your bones. If you break my bones, I'll kill you. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's that type of whatever you're doing to me in order for me to have you stop it. I got to do that times 10. And again, it, it, there's a lot of details, mechanical things that we could talk about for self-protection in the house and all that. But the main thing is to realize that uh, let the, let the pros do their job, get those police on the phone, tell them there's bad guys in the house, lock yourself. I have a safe room. I, I recommend that for everybody, uh, which has flashlights, cell phone chargers, all of that stuff. In, just in case I'm ever holed up in my house and guys are smashing down my bedroom uh, door because they think I've got gold bullion or something in my house. <laughs> uh, you know, but have those things with you in that room in the, in the night. And, and believe me, I've got all kinds of crazy stuff. I used to play baseball. So I have a lot of baseball bats. I've got baseball bats in every single room of my house sitting in the corner because, you know, <laughs> maybe I'm a little bit over the top on this kind of stuff, but it just gives me a little peace of mind. And I know there's something at least there. If my, if my door flies open, cause those guys are now doing, they're just coming up with crowbars, uh, home invasion robberies. It doesn't matter how good the lock is. They throw that crowbar into the crack and they heave on it. And the guy's a 220 pounder. He's going to break that door jam and they're coming right through the door. In a a nanosecond. Uh, In a nanosecond. In a nanosecond. So I may not have the ability to get to my uh, safe place or anything else. So again, I'm pretty good swinging a baseball bat. I hit a few home runs. So I know I got a little power. There you go. (laughs) Ernest, I had an idea. Go ahead. There needs to be an Emerson Knives baseball bat. Well, you know what? That's not a bad idea because I've looked at some things. It doesn't have to be a, a, a 33 inch uh, Harmon Killebrew or Mickey nope. Mantle. It, it, all it has to be is about 18 inches long. Just have a little heavier end on one end yep. and a good handle on it. And you can you can break bones with that. I guarantee yeah, yes, you. sir. I mean, uh, um, I saw Cold, Cold Steel's founder, Lynn Thompson, made a bunch of baseball yeah. bats, but they yeah. honestly, they're they're like plasticky. <laughs> I mean, they're heavy. Yeah, yeah, and all yeah. that. I know you designed something that's usable and good. So <laughs> um, I'd give it my best shot. But, so, the, you know, yeah. it's funny ideas like that. They're yeah, it just came to me as you were talking about it. Like, you should make a baseball. Yeah. 
So Ernest, I, I got to wrap yes, this sir. up. We're going to do this Roger again that. to get to the schools. We'll just do like a section just on the schools. Yeah. Cause I think that's important. And last time we talked about me connecting and I owe you some emails around that. And I apologize connecting with no uh, some folks like David Grossman and, and Royce Gracie. And we were going to talk about having uh, Emerson knives and, and us do some sponsorship thing. And I, I was to send you those emails. I messed up. I'll get that done. God bless you. Well, Thanks for your time. This was a kick-ass interview. And um, thank you. Thank let's you, do it again, you. just on the schools. But give me give okay. me a couple of weeks, okay? We'll get it going. No, 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 no. I'm on your time. You just call me. Uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to be able to talk to you on your podcast and to talk to your your uh, your viewers. So thank you for the opportunity. I really. Yeah, God bless it. you, brother. Thank you much. You Cheers. Yeah, bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Man Podcast. If you're ready to take charge of your life and become the man you've always wanted to be, we invite you to join the movement at SovereignMan.ca.